Thank you for the very kind introduction, Nico. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's a real pleasure being here today, although I wish it was more fortunate humanitarian reasons prompting this part of the conference today. I'll jump straight into it. Our industry is very well known for its innate volatility, which has been tested once again with over 50 attacks on commercial ships over the past couple of months in the Red Sea. Increased security risks have led to very extensive ship diversions. Just to give you a rough idea, a typical shipment from uh, China to North Continent to North Atlantic, apologies, uh, can take up to two more weeks if diverting around the Cape of Good Hope. Commercial considerations also come at play. Additional war risk premiums have surged from 0.1% of a ship's value to well over 1% or 1.5%, or in many cases, insurers are also refusing coverage. This is all leading to very severe supply chain disruptions and inflated uh, freight rates. But let's have a look at how each shipping sector has fared through so far. Starting with containers, around 30% of global container traffic sails through the Suez Canal. It's mainly uh, the large container ships that have been affected, Neo Panamaxes and above, although we've started to see the knock-on effect on smaller sizes as well. Most liners and operators today uh, have already diverted their ships, although we note some Chinese liners redeploying tonnage in the region uh, to benefit from China's perceived immunity to who the attacks. As you can see, the Freighters Baltic Index has bottomed out in October from close to $1,000 to well over $3,000 today. This whole disruption is causing uh, severe delays. It's inflicting pain on land and port logistics. It's driving up costs, all at a time when the world is still dealing with the aftermath of the worst inflationary episode since the 70s. We believe we haven't felt the full impact yet. Uh, but it's important to put things into context. This looks nothing like the supply-side squeeze of the COVID era. Sure, implications for most service lines are far from negligible, but back during COVID, uh, supply chains were stretched to the limit and consumer demand was booming, unlike today. What we think that uh, longer-haul voyages can help with this time around is mitigate oversupply. 2024 is the year when the massive container ship order book starts to deliver. We estimate that if these disruptions were to persist for yet another year, oversupply in the container sector could be halved from 18 to 9%. 9% is still admittedly on the heavy side, and this is the reason why we believe that the ceiling for container rates this time around will be lower than the pandemic highs. Moving on to the tanker segment, uh, the Red Sea has become a much busier waterway for tankers ever since Russia invaded Ukraine. 40% of Russia's oil exports from its western ports uh, sail to Asia these days. That compares to just 15% before the war. It's mainly crude oil, diesel, naphtha, and fuel oil. 
looking at tanker transits, uh, they have very rapidly come off in recent weeks. Uh, the ships which are still braving the transit are mainly tankers carrying barrels of Russian origin. Around 30% are ballasters. And looking at the remaining few, most of them are overage tankers involved in regional uh, tanker, uh, tanker trades in the Red Sea. Hypothetically, if all west to east crude shipments and all east to west product shipments were to stay flat from last year's levels, then tanker demand could increase by up to 6% if Babel Mandem completely shut down. Uh, so far, tanker demand has got a 2% boost. As you can see, routes involving Red Sea Passage are red hot. But what's a bit counterintuitive is the fact that many crude tanker routes have actually come off since the beginning of the year. Same for many product tanker routes, although product tankers have proved more resilient by comparison. Some of the underlying reasons include seasonal demand weakness, especially as we head towards uh, peak refinery maintenance season in Europe, US, parts of Asia. Uh, heavier reliance on inventories in many regions, especially as the tanker market tightened significantly in the second half of Q4. And the clear east-west split forming up. Wherever there is flexibility, we see more Atlantic crude staying west, more Middle Eastern supplies heading to Asia, and on the product side, European diesel imports from the US hit a record high in January. They were up 30% from December, whereas imports from the Middle East were down by 30%. That being said, tanker earnings are still looking very healthy. Uh, these disruptions are piling up at the time of already increased fleet utilization. Crude tanker deliveries for the year are set to be at a 30-year low, and product tanker deliveries are also historically on the low side. If these disruptions are set to persist for a few more weeks, which is our base case, until demand accelerates again, until Chinese buyers are back in the market, then we believe that the tanker market can strengthen significantly from today's levels. But this time, it wouldn't just be routes involving Red Sea Passage. The strength could spread across all segments. The fallout from the Red Sea crisis has been less pronounced for bulk carriers. Although it has lifted sentiment and it has helped the market fare through this seasonally weak part of the year much better than previously anticipated. Uh, if we look at the larger uh, bulk carriers, especially cape sizes, they are enjoying the strongest start of the year since 2010. It's an even stronger start of the year than 2021 was, the year of peak COVID-related inefficiencies. Just 7% of seaborne dry bulk trade transited the Suez Canal in the Red Sea in 2023, or 12% in terms of ton miles. It's mainly Panamaxes and Supramaxes, carrying US coal, Russian coal, and Black Sea grains to Asia, but also some very ton-mile-intensive backhaul shipments of Australian coal and Chinese steel coming to Europe. 
what's exacerbating the impact of current disruptions is the worst drought in the Panama Canal since the 60s. Bulk carriers have been avoiding the Panama Canal ever since August, September last year, which coincided with the start of the U.S. grain export season. A typical soybean shipment from the U.S. Gulf would have to divert via the Suez Canal, which is roughly 45% longer route. And nowadays, sailing around Africa adds another four to five extra sailing days and makes the whole trip over 50% longer than the initially preferred route via the Panama Canal. Another striking example of bulk carrier diversions are U.S. coal exports from the East Coast uh, to India. Capes and Panamaxes sailing, uh, sailing from, say, Baltimore would normally sail via Suez, whereas today, diverting around the Cape of Good Hope can make the whole voyage up to 10 days longer. We believe that ton miles can get a 5% boost if all bulk carriers were to avoid the region, or a more realistic or conservative, if you like, 2% if ships with links to Russia and China were to carry on business as usual. The Houthis have declared that such ships won't be targeted. Still, a 2% boost in bulk carrier ton miles is enough to further tighten the dry bulk market. We can talk about diversions and ton miles all afternoon, and I'm overrunning my time. But what's really key here is, that, uh, is the duration of this uh, turmoil, which is impossible to gauge unless we delve into the political side of things. Of course, this is beyond our scope. A potential ceasefire could lead to some easing of these disruptions, some downward pressure on earnings across the board, but we believe that would be a short-lived development. A fully-fledged resolution is required so that owners and charters feel confident once again to send their ships, their cargoes, more crucially their crew, back into the Red Sea. Until then, the longer those disruptions persist, the more volatile shipping markets will be. Thank you very much. Thank you.